We work so hard to get stronger, happier, more productive and successful. Don't forget the secret ingredient. Get grounded in play. Play grounding when it's time to get a life. Hello and welcome back to Playgrounding. This is Kara Stewart Fortier, your host here at the Treehouse in Theory Labs at the Brewery Artist Colony here in LA. It has been an amazing week. I just wrapped an interview with next week's guest, AJ Frainsteinson, aka Rabbit. Um, he's the creative director of Rab Cup. It's a company that specializes in the spectacular. That's not their tagline. That's mine. That's how I see their work. It's amazing. And you'll know what I mean next week. And I can't wait to jump back into interviews. Um, AJ's got some amazing things to share with us and I've got a bunch more lined up. Um, it's also been a great week because yesterday we, my husband and I got our Burning Man tickets delivered. Finally, now the tickets, you know, as you've probably heard, they're not super easy to come by. So when you finally actually get them, like you buy them like January, February this year, whatever, you buy them early in the year, so you know you got your spot, but until you get them in your hands, it's an amazing feeling. They're beautiful. They're always so beautifully done. Um, on the back of the tickets, there's a little something that's relevant to what we're going to talk about today in this last installment of my series on what makes a great playground. Not like, you know... Just your regular run-of-the-mill playground, but a real playground, the kind that sets you free. Um, we talked a lot in previous episodes about, you know, what makes a great playground. We've talked about Stuart Brown's play, um, play properties and why I think certain types of playgrounds actually lend themselves to that kind of play. Well, this week... Um, I have a proposition for you. I think that play should be a little bit dangerous. In fact, on the back of my Burning Man ticket in big capital letters, it says, <clears throat> and I quote, the ticket purchaser or holder, in parentheses, you, voluntarily assumes all risk of property loss or damage, personal or bodily injury, serious injury or death, which may occur by attending Burning Man. <laughs> and yeah, if that sounds scary and strange to you, I completely get it. I mean, who wants to put themselves in harm's way on purpose for fun? <laughs> well, I guess a lot of people do in the name of fun every day and burners aren't the only ones. But for me, I'm someone who's never really gravitated, you know, toward things like bungee jumping or car racing. So I didn't ever think I'd be the kind of person who'd enjoy dangerous fun. So the burn was really my very first encounter with it. And the people who go to Burning Man, they take that inherent danger very seriously because it's such a huge part of the fun. But anyway, before we dig into that, let me introduce you to... Gaver Tully. Now, Gaver is a computer scientist who's now a speaker and a writer. He founded Tinkering School, and I, I first heard about him on the TED Radio Hour on their episode about growing up, which they re-aired not too long ago, and I was just struck. I'm like, oh, I have to share this. Um, he was also featured in an NPR piece with Melissa Block. And I'm going to put tons of links in this episode. You've got to hear his interviews and his TED Talk. He's, he's a really amazing guy. 
Um, but I'll just summarize here a little bit and what's relevant to this conversation. Um, so he doesn't have children, um, but he describes in his interview how he felt watching his friends parent their children. And um, in one instance, he describes talking with his friend. They're inside the house. I guess she's looking out the window or something. And she was watching her child play out in the yard. And she jumped up and interrupted the conversation at one point and just pointed out and called out to the child in the backyard and said, what are you playing with? And apparently it was a stick. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I mean, she said the stick was a very dangerous thing and it should not be played with. And you can see where this is going, I hope. I mean, I sometimes do that when I see my cat chewing on some mysterious thing, but that's beside the point. Anyway, I personally am a huge fan of sticks. I've been playing with sticks my entire life. I mean, from camping trips to playing in my own backyard to every single time I go hiking as an adult, I always have to have a stick. I mean, I mean, who didn't like sticks when they were kids? Um, I whittled them with my knife that my dad let me have um, that I took camping with me. I would turn them into spears. I loved, oh, I just loved my sticks. I really loved sticking them into the, the streams for some reason. I thought that was fun as I was hiking up and down the streams and crawling onto the rocks. I loved sticking them into the fire where you just stick one end of your stick into the fire and you're holding the other end and you're sitting there holding a piece of wood that's literally burning as you hold it. I don't know why, but I thought that was so cool when I was a kid. I loved fire and I loved running free around the neighborhood with my friends in the afternoon. And and I realized that after hearing Gaver speak, that even as a Gen Xer, I lived a life that is basically non-existent for a lot of kids today. And I really hope that's not true for the majority, but I know it's not, I don't know. I just know that as I observe children, their lives are so regimented, they're so protected but who am I? And I know my hands are up in the air right now. I'm not a, I'm not a parent, neither is Gaver, but he has an amazing um, thing going with tinkering school. Um, if you listen to his TED Talk, you'll hear his hilariously sad list of things that people protect children from today and how overscheduled and overprotected they are. So he started a camp. It's evolved to what he calls tinkering school. And here's how they describe their philosophy. Um, this is from their about page on their website. I just thought this might be interesting. The use of real tools to tackle real problems creates a unique atmosphere of trust and responsibility. From six-year-olds to high schoolers, we empower our tinkerers with tools, autonomy, and space. Big responsibilities build competency and leave lasting memories. The freedom to fail is essential. Every project has setbacks, and often ours has to be spectacular. If, or excuse me, they happen to be spectacular. If it goes right the first time, you're just learning how to follow instructions. A failure positive atmosphere allows children to play in the face of adversity. Now, it kind of might sound like, oh, they go to a camp to learn how to build things. It sounds like work. But in fact, these children are enjoying play in the face of adversity. And adversity meaning they're using tools that most parents would never let them touch until they turn whatever, probably like. 15. <laughs> um, and in his interview with Melissa Block, he describes the disclaimer that the parents have to sign before their kids can even participate in this camp. It actually sounds a lot like the back of my Burning Man ticket. It says, we have what many parents have described as the single scariest document they'll ever sign around their child. 
they actually have to print it out and say that I understand that my child may be injured or killed at this camp. Awesome, right? I mean, what parent wouldn't want to send them to this camp? I mean, it it didn't sound that awesome to me just a few years ago, but I learned all over again as an adult that I need to keep my play just a little bit dangerous. Okay, I know, I know, enough with the house music. I found that music slightly resembled Robot Heart that I wouldn't get in trouble for putting on the podcast. Yay, stock music. Um, but you should definitely check out Robot Heart. Um, it's some of my favorite playa music, and I'm not even really that into EDM. So yay, go Robot Heart. Check them out on SoundCloud. Anyway, on with the show. Um, there's something different in the way we approach play when we're uber, uber safe, right? So if we're going to approach play and we're going to make sure that everything's wonderful, there's nothing at stake. You're just along for the roller coaster ride. You know, safe play tends to be great for like spectators. You know, for spectator play, the kind that you don't actually participate in, you're just being entertained. But the kind of play that builds our character, you know, whether we're adults or kids, um, it can be much better when there's something actually at stake, like our lives, you know, serious injury, that kind of thing, for example. That's having something at stake. I mean, look, swinging as high as we can on the swings, it can be dangerous, but isn't it awesome? I mean, I remember on the playground as a kid, there was such an amazing feeling of accomplishment when I got all the way to the top of the jungle gym. I'm terrified of heights now. I mean, I'm all grown up and wise, but, you know, so of course I've learned that heights are unacceptable, which my husband is trying so hard to get me away from. But back then, I really relished the idea of running up there and saying, look at me, I did it. Um, I didn't die. I didn't fall and break my leg, you know, although those things happened all the time on playgrounds. And now I hear they're trying to actually sanitize playgrounds even more, which makes me crazy. But anyway, on with the show. Um... <laughs> Just think of the fear that the parents of the tinkering school kids had to overcome to send their school, to send their kids there. I mean, the kids are given regular adult size power tools and materials. I mean, all kinds of materials, wood, metal, plastic, whatever. And they would experiment and build with these things. Um, they build boats that they have to actually be able to float. They take them out and put them in the boats in the water and the kids would have to swim back to shore if their boat doesn't float. I mean, they build bridges that the kids have to be able to walk across or, oh well, ouch. Um, I think they're only like nine feet high, but nine feet high, are you kidding me? Um, probably not enough to kill them, but definitely enough to break a knee. And I think maybe some of those playgrounds were, those jungle gyms were almost that high back when I was a kid. Um, just listen to the Melissa Block interview. I mean, the kids talk about how they get injured several times per day, but they survive. They do not sound at all upset about it. They almost It's almost like a badge of honor. They heal, but their minds are being expanded. They, they don't learn and grow unless they take some chances and see what they're capable of. But that's kids, right? I mean, kids do that kind of thing. What about us adults? Now, I don't know about you. But I had grown into a pretty danger-phobic adult. I was afraid of heights. Oh my god, I couldn't watch someone on a ladder on TV without getting sweaty palms. And I, I 
still get sweaty palms watching TV, but now it's like, you know, when they're actually hanging over a cliff or something, so I'm getting a little better. Um, but really, I lived a really safe life. I, I got out of my cozy bed every morning, used a boatload of personal hygiene products to make myself, you know, all taken care of and safe and nourished. I got in the car that I carefully researched on Consumer Reports to make sure it had the best safety rating. Um, I drove to my high paying job with benefits that made sure my teeth and my eyes and my body, my money, my life, everything was insured so that nothing would ever go wrong, right? And there's nothing wrong with this, right? I mean, we need health insurance and it's important to make sure our cars aren't death traps. But what I'm getting at is this overall attitude that we need to make sure we do nothing dangerous ever. But as we talk a lot about on the show, if something's good for kids, it's also good for us grown-ups. Now, we don't grow out of our need for play. I mean, not biologically, that is. I mean, our culture says that we do. But this podcast is all about saying no to that culture and taking back play in our adult years. So what does that mean about dangerous play? I mean, we need a little uncertainty in life. We need a little adventure and Adventure is not going to Disneyland where everything is so safe because nobody wants to get sued. What I'm saying is that we need to stretch ourselves and see what we're made of on a playing field where the outcomes are not set. So this is the kind of play. It it is a little bit dangerous when the outcome is not set. And there are a lot of ways that we adults can find this type of play. And most of them, most of the obvious ones fall into the category of sport. I mean, I've never been a huge participant in sport. As I got older, I fell into music and away from softball and things like that. So I just never really participated in sports. But I totally love and respect sports. I am my father's daughter, after all. But I've been involved in mostly in the arts over the years, and which is why I'm delighted that I discovered this type of play at an event that's geared more toward artists and overthinkers like me um, at Burning Man. So again, this week, I'm going to use my experience at Burning Man as an example because it's what I experienced. There are two things that made Burning Man dangerous. First is the location itself, and the second were the activities that we undertake there. So to start, let me just say, the Black Rock Desert on its own is a very dangerous place. It's unforgiving. I mean, it's like going camping on another planet. The wait here, the survival the survival guide, the Burning Man survival guide that you get with your ticket that you have to read before you go, especially your first time. I devoured it cover to cover, but they put it like this. Again, and I quote: The Burning Man event takes place on the Black Rock Desert. The Black Rock Desert is trying to kill you. As radical self-reliance is one of Burning Man's core principles, it's your responsibility to see that it doesn't. But what they're trying to say is that it's just going to be scary out there. There's dust storms, there's the heat, dehydration. I mean, humans, human beings, actually no life is meant to survive out there. It's completely dry. It's a, it's a dry lake bed and it's very, very, yeah, it's just, it's, it can be scary. I can't even imagine being out there all by yourself. Um. And the fact that we actually do go out there, though, this huge community goes out there and builds a city that we thrive there, I believe that it really builds the character into the Burning Man community as a whole. And it becomes a part of who we all are together collectively 
and it also becomes a part of who we are as individuals. It's an amazing feeling of accomplishment to know you can survive under harsh circumstances like that. And in all seriousness, like when the Armageddon of your choice takes place, and just, just as an aside, just keep this in mind, whether zombies, aliens, diseases, whatever happens, you want to be with burners. You will survive probably if there are burners in your midst. They are just some of the most well-prepared members of society. So the first real danger of Burning Man is just being at Burning Man and it's amazing. Anyway, so as I said, the rest of the danger of being at Burning Man is participating in Burning Man, which is not optional. <laughs> it's one of the 10 principles participation. So my little anecdote here is that I'm afraid of heights, as I might have mentioned. <laughs> I'm terrified of heights. Um, but somehow my very first burn, I managed to climb to the second floor of a moving art car on a teeny tiny little ladder up into a little hole. It was just, oh my God. Oh, I even have a little, my hands are a little bit weird just thinking about it. I mean, that would just have been completely unthinkable at any other time in my life. But I did it. I did it. That was very excited. Going back down again was a little bit of a challenge, but I did it. I got back down <laughs> eventually. <laughs> kind of had to have a little help. But then last year, again, made it to the second floor of an art car. But this time I took it up a notch. I jumped onto a rapidly spinning standing merry-go-round in the middle of the second floor of the art car. It was amazing that I, I actually let go and shot off the other side of the merry-go-round toward the front of the car, jumped onto a slide and slid back down to the first floor. It was on a moving art car and it was, it's such a vivid memory because I conquered one of my little fears. It's not a big deal to anyone else but me. All of my friends were doing this I probably in most other times would have stood off to the side and just been like, mm -mm, no way, not me. <laughs> but I conquered a fear. I had a little bit, a little victory in that moment. And I can now climb ladders in general. This is huge. I have more confidence in what I can handle and do. I mean, that's just one tiny little thing, but that was a big deal to me. Now I know like there are much more interesting things people do out there. There was an amazing volcano installation um, in 2014. I didn't make it onto the slide. There was a slide that slid you down into the volcano. I heard it was incredibly steep and a little painful, but totally worth it. Oh, I was so mad when I realized they were burning it and I didn't have a chance to go. But um, yeah, I heard it was amazing. And the great part about the art pieces in general is that they are mostly interactive. You can climb onto them. You can crawl inside of them. Um, you can play them if they were set up maybe like a musical instrument. Um, some of the art cars spit fire up into the air and there's just no feeling, there's nothing, no way to describe the heat and the sound of a poofer, You're like poofing fire up into the air. It's kind of like a flamethrower, but poofer sounds a lot more friendly, right? Um, I love the art cars and especially when they give you the opportunity to actually make the fire go, like if they let you have a button, I know Charlie the Unicorn had that, where you push the button and the fire goes and you feel like you're controlling the, the gas, you're controlling the fire. It's an amazing feeling. I'm like a little kid with my stick all over again. And one of, that's one of the most important things we do out there is we play with fire. And in Gaver's TED Talk, he talks about the amazing feeling we get as humans when we learn to control the element of fire. He, he says children should play with fire. It's 
it's exciting and empowering and it, and it keeps them asking questions. And I came home my first year really sad that I couldn't join Flaming Lotus Girls. I mean, at my first one, I was so excited about the pieces I was seeing out there. I can't remember the name of the piece that they did in 2013, um, but it just blew me away. And the, these women learned, a lot of them learned to weld later in life. They joined this collective up in the Bay Area and they make these beautiful pieces there's nothing like that here in LA, but the Flaming Lotus Girls last year, they brought their Serpent Mother piece back and it was so beautiful, like a giant dinosaur protecting its egg. Another great piece that's returning to the playa this year, it's called Fire in Balance by Poetic Kinetics. You might know some of their work from Coachella. They were responsible for the snail, the astronaut, the butterfly, and the caterpillar. I mean, talk about some of the most amazing, loving, and playful people you'll ever meet in your life, the people from Poetic Kinetics. Oh my gosh. Hopefully I'm going to get um, Patrick and Des on the show at some point. We've been talking about it. We just haven't nailed down that date. Um, but their Burning Man piece literally inverts fire. I mean, you lay on the ground and you watch the fire dance on the ceiling. Actually, not on the ground. You're kind of on the piece itself. But the fire is dancing above your head and you're just watching it dance across the ceiling Oh, I'm going to link to it so you can see a picture. It's just, there's no way to describe these things. Like I said, there's just, there's nothing like it. And Guyver was totally right because fire, yeah, there's just something about it. There's something so beautiful. I mean, it's one of the elements that we can't touch. But then we can learn to manipulate it and, and become one with it. It's oh, so amazing. Anyway, I will stop. So, I mean, I don't want to make you think that we go to Burning Man and just have this free-for-all of really high-risk, dangerous activity. I mean, that was how it was, apparently, back in the 90s. I hear all these stories from back in the day. Things were different then. There was, I guess, more fun, or so I've heard, because it was way more dangerous out there. And it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but actually, no, I, from the stories I've heard, it really sounded like they had an amazing time. And Though that time has passed. It's never going to go back to that. Um, so a lot of people who really loved those days, they go out and have their own small burns, regional burns. Um, just as groups of friends, they'll go out and find a dry lake bed and, and go back to the way it used to be. And I, I love that. I really honor that. They were the people who started it all. But over the years, as the event grew, I mean, the rules started coming into play, you know, like no guns. <laughs> you can't drive your vehicle after you park your car at camp unless you have a special permit um, for an art car from the Department of Mutant Vehicles. Haha, <laughs> can't see what they did there, you know, DMV. Anyway, um, lots and lots of rules, not too many. I mean, art pieces that get set on fire have a whole team of volunteer firefighters. They make those burns happen safely. There are even volunteers who stand around the burn perimeter to make sure no one gets too close to the fire. I mean, it's really fun to talk to the firefighters there. They play. Like Burning Man is where they play. And it's something they look forward to all year. They get to be children playing with fire again. You'd think they're fighter fighters or always want to put all the fires out, but they loved playing with sticks and fire. I mean, some of them, that's the reason they got into it in the first place because fire is just so amazing. But this time, you know, at Burning Man, they get to play with much bigger sticks, um, much bigger toys, um, and they have an audience. So you'll find that a lot of burners love to run up and give hugs to the firefighters because they their presence makes it possible for us to even have fire in the first place. It We get to have the burns because of the rules that we have to follow and they make it possible. 
Um, so some people, they get very upset about all the rules um, because, you know, sometimes people want more rules. They, But some people think that the rules are ruining Burning Man. Um, there's a saying that you hear a lot, and I think my, my husband actually has it on a button, keep Burning Man potentially fatal or potentially lethal, one of the two anyway. <laughs> but some think we need lots and lots of rules, and this is it's a wonderful tension that the leadership of Burning Man has to deal with. I'm glad I'm not them. Um, they make sure that, that it's still an adventure for us with real things at stake, but they also want to make sure that we have practical safety precautions in place. I mean, we have the Burning Man Rangers, which are volunteer burners that go around and just patrol. We have every kind of law enforcement you can imagine in um, uniforms and plain clothes and you, you name it. We have medical stations, um, volunteer medical professionals staffing um, an emergency station. There are lots of ways we can reach out if we're hurt or in trouble. But I've learned that in the midst of it all, my campmates are my first line of defense toward actually being hurt out there on the playa. Um, dangerous play actually causes a lot, makes us have more camaraderie. It makes us bond with our friends. It, it, I think it makes us closer together. We, we want to protect each other. They taught me what I needed to know to survive out there. I mean, I had the what, where, when. I had the, the Burning Man survival guide, but really I had a lot of friends giving me advice and I listened to that advice. Most of it. <laughs> they helped me with things that I couldn't do alone. They encouraged me to participate in things I never thought I could do. Um, and because we actually take the dangers very seriously, we have really high expectations of one another. And you don't get to be passive out there. You don't just get to be coddled and taken care of. I mean, I guess there's some people, but that's not a conversation for this time right now. Um, but we expect everyone to participate in the fun and the work because it's all wrapped up into one and things can get very dangerous in the fun. It could also get very dangerous in the work. So we need each other in order to actually do it and do it right. Um, and every year we go out there and we build the city together and it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, we're expected to take care of ourselves and be radically self-reliant and all that. But one of the most important things that I learn out there is also to help take care of each other and, not to be the kind of person who expects other people to take care of you, but to actually participate in this web of people watching out for each other. Um, I'm a different person because I stepped up and learned how to do things I've never done before. I actually started taking beginning class at the LA Derby Dolls called Derby Por Vida. It's kind of their health health class. You know, you skate just for exercise. It also is where they kind of groom people to maybe become Derby Dolls someday. I'm, I'm way, way way far away from even being possibly considered. I mean, this is, but it's something I never would have done had I not gotten involved with Burning Man. The, the track I was on before this period in my life, uh-uh, uh-uh, no way. Um, but even now, even though I am feeling a little more confident, I kept putting it off because it scared me to death, but I finally got the courage to go. And like the first time I went onto the bank track, it's a bank track derby, derby league, I fell so hard flat on my back and my head bounced off the ground. <laughs> it scared me. It really scared me. But I, I sat there and was like, well, I'm wearing my mouth guard, my helmet, my knee pads, and my elbow pads, just like the teacher told me. And I fell and it was disorienting, but I'm here. I'm survived. And I, I was able to get up and try it again. And I didn't fall the next time. And it was awesome. It was an amazing sense of accomplishment that I... I wouldn't have felt if I was just trying to be safe 
and never get hurt and that kind of thing. I mean, safety is not a bad thing. So don't think I'm advocating being foolish. But right now, most of us adults are really, really good at being safe, but not good at all at play, especially dangerous play. And I'm talking about picking up that stick and just going for it. I mean, aren't sticks awesome? I mean, we need to find more sticks in our adult lives, frankly. And we should be playing with fire. We just really, really should. I mean, just like with children, it's good for us. I mean, Gaver Tully wrote a book and it's called 50 Dangerous Things You Should Let Your Children Do. And I think that we should be doing them too. In his TED Talk, he only describes five of them, but his very first one is play with fire. You've got to hear his whole talk. He's amazing. He also says that kids should own a pocket knife, they should throw a spear, and they should deconstruct appliances. Um, This is just a very small little list of things, but you've got to check out his book. You've got to check out his TED Talk. If it's good for kids to go out there and push the limits and to do things that, you know, test themselves and show them that they can accomplish things, even if there's the potential for bodily harm, how much more exhilarating would it be for us to let go of our adult onset phobias? I mean, what can we learn? What can we accomplish? My husband, he's still working on my fear of heights. Um, he freaks out if we're watching a movie and there's something scary and my hands get ridiculously wet from sweat. It's really embarrassing. Um, he always rolls his eyes like one of these days. I'd like to accomplish something like climbing a rock someday, you know, like a really big rock. We'll see. But in the meantime, thanks for joining me for another episode of Playgrounding. Next week, we start up again with amazing interviews with inspiring playful people, starting with AJ Frainsteinson, whose mission in life is to take your breath away. So don't forget, subscribe on iTunes and leave me a review. See you next week.